Hello and welcome to Buildings of Tomorrow. My name is John Lester and in today's episode we are talking about decarbonising infrastructure. Such an important topic for us to really try and achieve the goals that we have as a society and, and really reach these sustainability goals and challenge climate change that is uh, giving us so many different challenges across our organisation, across our industry, across our society. Uh, and I'm really happy and excited today. I'm joined by Oliver Tsai. He is the project lead for Net Zero Carbon Cities at the World Economic Forum. Oliver, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's a great pleasure to have you here. And uh, before we jump into the conversation about decarbonizing infrastructure and really talking about what you and your your team does on a daily basis and the cool conversations that you have out there in the industry, maybe give us a quick summary. You know, what do you do and your team do and, and where do you focus uh, in your work that you do at the Forum? Yeah, um, so the the mission of um, the Forum's Net Zero Carbon Cities uh, program is to really create the en enabling environment to uh, help advance clean electrification and circularity, you know, both of which are, are key levers to reducing emissions in the urban landscape. And we do this by promoting an integrated approach, um, you know, across the, the different elements of the urban ecosystem, looking at uh, the intersection of mobility, built environment, and energy uh, services. Um, and we uh, work with our stakeholders in a collaborative fashion, bringing together you know, government, private industry, and civil society. So really trying to take that holistic approach to engage everybody. Yeah, perfect. A, a really interesting topic. I can't imagine the kind of conversations that you and your team would have, some of the really cool uh, you know, projects and, and different topics that you work on. But no, I'm really excited for, for, for this conversation today because, as you mentioned, you, you look at the holistic picture, you look at the circularity and, and, and have that ultimate goal of, of net zero cities. And of course, a big part of that is the built environment. You mentioned that as, as part of your scope. And, and that's a little bit where we want to focus today. Um, maybe the first question, how important is the built environment for this, for this holistic vision? How important is the built environment to really achieving those sustainability goals? Um, you know, I think that the built environment is definitely critically important to, to the uh, climate uh, challenge, uh, to decarbonization. And, you know, I, I think to be a little bit more specific, it's uh, the urban built environment, you know, even more so. Um, I'll start off with a, a couple of statistics. Uh, you know, don't want to bore your audience. I'm sure they're, they're all very well versed in, in uh, you know, the figures. But you know, we, we, you're seeing uh, that urban ecosystem cities create 70% of, of global emissions. And then among that, um, built environment, buildings, they generate 38% of, of carbon emissions. So it's it's definitely a, a huge challenge. And it, I think the other thing to consider is the massive scale of built environment, you know, what we interact with through our daily lives, you know. As urbanization continues, as our cities and population continue to grow, as driving additional construction worldwide, it's, it's something that's, that's really massive. And I think it's um, something that we need to be able to intervene and get right rather quickly. Yeah, perfect. And and love the clarification things because when we when we really do, do look at at the urban built environment, I think that's a really important differentiation because as you say, urbanization is growing, uh, you know, population is growing and the demand for for space exactly like you described in that last topic within these cities within these urban centers or these these constructs is growing at an extremely fast rate and 
uh, you know, let's say we, we understand that we already have a challenge. So we have we have this driver, you know, urbanization, the demand for space and energy and, and infrastructure within an urban environment is growing. We also know that we're somehow already behind in this race. We, we have to not just reduce emissions, uh, reduce our, our consumption of, of uh, you know, different energy sources, et cetera, but also go beyond that and start to really wind back some of the challenges that we have to tackle this this uh, this topic. And, and at times, sometimes this is referred to as a race. You know, somehow we're behind in the race and to, and to catch up and then eventually win, we have to speed up and we have to get moving. And before we, before we dive into sort of how do we do that and the conversations you have, I want to touch quickly without deep diving into technology and, and have a look at or, or get your impression around digitalization. Um, urban centers, different systems, electrification, mobility and electrical mobility you talked about, the built environment, et cetera. How important is the, that digitalization aspect uh, and the ability to build those ecosystems across this built environment? You know, I think digitalization is, is really going to be very critical to um, being able to achieve the success that we need at the scale that we need it to, you know, come at. And I think that, um, sure, you know, individual buildings, you know, they can implement isolated solutions, uh, you know, that j- works just for them. But I think that the the connective tissue uh, that is going to link that particular system with all the other buildings around, you know, in the city network, that's going to be data and that's going to be digital tools. So, um I think in that respect, it's absolutely going to be a really critical uh, kind of central part of of the solution moving forward. Perfect. Hey, we'll come back to that at some point because I don't want to talk about the solution yet because I'm really interested also to understand a little bit the the problem. And and here I want to link just quickly to a report that you know Siemens is is an organisation they've been working on this quite a little bit and talking with key customers, talking with key members in the industry and. One of the topics that really came out of this report it was called the new space race, and it's something that, that I'll refer to at the end. But uh, one of the topics that really came out, especially when we talk to owners, investors, um, managers, users of this built environment, was around adaptability. And here is where I'd like to make that link between the drivers that you talked about earlier, between digitalization, and just talk about adaptability and understanding how we, how how can we, and and what's the approach that we can take. Uh, in in the stakeholder groups and the organizations the governments the municipalities that you talk to 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 bring in that adaptability side of things how how is how is that possible and what are the kinds of conversations that you have that help drive that topic you know adaptability i think it can mean a couple of different things on different levels um you know so i I personally come from the engineering sector where i I used to work as a, a civil engineer so you know to me it's it's something that's very physical you know, it's a very tangible kind of concept. I think that, you know, at a higher level, when we're talking about systems, there's the adaptability from a, a technology standpoint, you know, and I think that's, uh, as we alluded to, is going to become increasingly important. But, you know, I think as far as buildings go, you know, the way that business is conducted now, the way that we interact with buildings, adaptability and adaptable use, I, I think that's been probably talked about for, for a number of years now. And it's, definitely become increasingly important, you know, following the, the dramatic changes that we've all experienced as, you know, as the world population in the past couple of years. You know, I think that um, uh, following pandemic, you know, I, I've personally still been working from home a number of days a week. And, you know, I think that uh, we're all figuring out what impacts it's going to have with lifestyle and kind of working models. 
And I think that we're still seeing that push and pull from both government and private sector employers on, you know, what kind of standards that we should be expecting in the future, right? So, you know, the the term new normal has been like used uh, probably too much in the past two years, but I don't, don't think we still really know what that means yet. Yeah. Um, I love that last question because I think you're right. You know, the thing is that fast forward five years, uh, 10 years, we're probably not going to have as much much more of a clue that we do today as we did five or 10 years ago. No one could have imagined we'd find ourselves in this situation uh, with the, the requirements, the expectations, uh, and the, the usability of spaces within the built environment that we see today. And I can imagine that five years in, or 10 years in the future, we'll find ourselves in a similar situation with use cases and expectations, which don't really fit even this new normal that you talk about. You know, I think that's, that's probably that point, the new normal if we talk about it in any situation, it, it evolves as we go. How how do you tackle that conversation? You know, when you're out there talking with governments, out there talking with uh, with private uh, companies and corporations, etc. What does that conversation look like or sound like when you when you can't really predict what the use cases, the expectations, or the applications will be? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that a big factor there is is, is about risk, right? It's um, you know the the uncertainty and risk that comes with you know what decisions that a uh, an asset owner or an investor is willing to to uh, take, you know, with their their building or their asset. And you know, I've been thinking about uh, why it's been so difficult to implement that that type of adaptability, you know since it's it's already been you know in the conversation for for some time like even preceding pandemic i think that part of it is uh, regulations like when you talk with government and you talk about uh, you know talk to cities about regulations this is kind of tapping back into the uh, my prior experience as an engineer but uh, building codes uh, have been written very specific ways for specific occupancy types and most of the uh, designs and construction that you have in existing buildings, they're primarily created for fairly specific applications. And, you know, when you talk about that kind of physical asset, that kind of physical presence, there's a lot of hardwired stuff, you know, a lot of hardwired equipment, HVAC, ventilation, got your electrical conduits, water piping, steam and gas lines and i mean all of those things i think if they weren't originally designed in a way that is suitable for for adaptive use it becomes really challenging and costly to to make a retrofit uh, out of that to totally change your application of of a space so i think that's that's what i've heard in in you know conversations with uh, people who are very close to to operational level but you know i think i'll i'll Drop in a, a brief anecdote that may or may not be relevant, but I think that it seems to me that engineers from a hundred years ago seem to have a great deal of foresight on what they needed to put together in their heavy infrastructure, um, from from water aqueducts to uh, the the tunnels uh, that the the subway systems use, and they seem to have planned in quite a bit of extra redundancy or extra flexibility for people down the line to um, to adapt. And, you know, I think that that's something that along the way, whether it's from the 
the economic models or, you know, the margins that businesses increasingly have to deal with or, or governments, you know, for that matter. I think that the advanced planning, it, it seems to have changed. You know, I don't, don't want to say that we don't do it anymore, but it does feel like um, the, the type of planning seems to have uh, shifted a bit. Yeah, I understand. I think that's a great anecdote and definitely on point because, as you mentioned, uh, if you don't think about that or at least enable and build in the capability for the flexibility, uh, you, you, you do limit yourself at some point in the future and that could offset any of the economic benefits you might find in the short term by picking a simpler solution or a different operating technology. Uh, we opened a lot of doors there. You know, We talked a bit about digitalization. We talked about adaptability. We're now talking about you know, kind of, uh, you know, what is the, you know, what are some of the drivers that maybe find ourselves in a situation, et cetera. I wanted to, to bring it all together because, you know, one of the things that, that, that we've talked about in preparation for this conversation, but also you're out there with your team talking about uh, in the industry is kind of building a little bit of a framework, bringing a little bit of a structure to this very broad and complex conversation. When you talk about the whole city, when you talk about the future, the adaptability, the requirement to, to drive towards net zero and the the multitude of different systems that are interacting and, and interplaying together to get to that point, you can't just have a, an open discussion. Right? Like uh, you'll, never, you'll never find uh, solutions and you'll never find cases for action. So... Uh, Maybe you could give us a little bit of an insight into that framework that you that you work on and that you've developed at the forum and and how that drives your conversation and also how it brings some of these different stakeholders together and and, and helps push that mindset back towards uh, where we need to be to achieve these goals. Sure. Um, you know, before I get into that, I think um, just to close uh, close the loop on the last uh, point. You know, I, I think that. Um, didn't mean to shortchange anybody who's actively working, you know, in the space. You know, I, 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 there there are a lot of smart people out there, you know, working in architecture, engineering, design, real estate, um, and you know, urban design that are thinking about, you know, what types of, of um, systems we need, you know, in the future. So, um, you know, I think that I definitely have to recognize, um, you know, the good work that's being done in the sector there. Yeah, that's, uh, and I'll jump in there as well. I think one of the most exciting things and one of the reasons that we're kind of having this conversation is that if we look back, at least at the built environment, and here, here's the industry where I, uh, I live and work every day. If we look at that industry, it's traditionally quite slow moving, but the level of excitement, the level of innovation, the level of, of, um, application of new technologies is just hitting an absolute fever pitch at the moment and it's such a cool time because so many new things are coming and and so much so many of the lines that used to sit between different uh, different technologies different industries and and what was it and what was ot and what was uh, electrical and what was not etc these lines are blurring and it's such an exciting and cool time at the moment because that you know i think we're now technologically, but also, you know, like you talked about, we have amazingly smart people who are starting to blur those lines and make these connections, which make this kind of conversation possible. You know, if we if we wanted to sit down 15 years ago, it may have been more difficult. Uh, but now I think, like you described, those those innovators uh, and those really pushing the boundaries in, in all of the industries that make up this complete picture uh, are the ones that, that are kind of getting us to the point where we can really take action. And I think that's the, one of the really exciting parts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, 
you know, uh, we, we just got back from the heels of the annual meeting at Davos a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the, what, what you're mentioning brings uh, to mind something that I'd heard that really points to the, the sense of scale and urgency that uh, we have on this, this issue right now. And, you know, we had a number of meetings on um, energy transition and the transformation that's needed for infrastructure and built environment, you know, in order to support that target uh, for, for the climate goals. And, um, you know, one sentiment that, that really captured it well was that, you know, we need that transformation to happen at the scale of the industrial revolution, but at the pace of the digital revolution. And so, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think what, what you just said you know, reminded me of, of that comment. Yeah, and, and that brings back to you know, where we started a little bit as well. We started to talk about a race and, and speed. Mm-hmm. Speed is mm-hmm. certainly a topic I'd like to, to talk about towards the end of our conversation today because uh, all of the skills, all of the technology, all of the good intentions uh, and, and let's say setting ourselves clear goals and aspirations, those clear goals and aspirations are by no means easy for us to achieve. And here I talk about you know, things like net zero, things uh, like the European Green Deal and the many different regulations and, and directives that are being generated across the across the globe uh, or down to a corporation level uh, saying, uh, you know, that we that individual corporations wish to be, you know, net zero or reduce their emissions. So there are just so many moving parts uh, and, it's, and it's a challenge in general uh, to not only achieve this complex outcome, but also it with the speed that you just described. It's a great way to, to say uh, the industrial revolution as far as a, as a seismic shift in technology and application at the speed of the digital revolution is, uh, is going to keep us busy. Let's, let's say it at least. Yeah, yeah, we've got our answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so let me come back to you again, because uh, I know you, your team, you use this framework, um, and, and I'll leave it to you to, to, to quote the name exactly, but I think it's the Net Zero Carbon Cities Building Value Framework. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll pass that back to you to to give us a bit of an insight. What is it? What do you use it for? And how does it help you structure that and bring uh, you know bring forward momentum to these complex conversations? Yeah, yeah, no, um, you know, thanks for for bringing that up. And I think um, you know where, where it started was really uh, you know we started off speaking with a lot of the um, you know, the forums partners, the stakeholders uh, in the building value chain. And, you know, that that ranges from the engineers, the constructors, technology providers, uh, you know, such as Siemens, to investors and real estate uh, developers. And, you know, we were speaking with cities as well and just trying to get a sense for, well, you know, we know that this decarbonization has to happen. We know that buildings need to to become more efficient. They need to, you know, there's there's a, pu- a huge global push for green buildings. And so, you know, the, the need is there, the demand is there. Uh, so the question then became, well, why why isn't it happening as quickly as, you know, as, as we want it to be, you know? And I think that, um, uh, I forget what the exact figure was. I think it's maybe like 1.5% of buildings in the US are green buildings. When you look globally, that's less than 1% of all the buildings in the world. So, you know, it became, um, you know, just a challenge of identifying what the barriers uh, for, for driving those investments to the right projects were. 
And you know, through those conversations, uh, we had arrived at uh, an insight that um, it, it was really the decision makers that are really critical are the asset owners, you know, whether it's government or private sector, uh, as well as the investors uh, that are are able to to kind of you know channel the financing, uh, channel the investment and funds to to these projects. So you know, we ended up looking at, well, what's the the decision calculus here? And I think for a lot of, of, you know, asset owners, building owners, they tend to have a shorter term decision you know horizon. You know, I think mm-hmm. that they typically look for a certain amount of uh, return on investment within a five to seven year window. But, you know, the operation and lifespan of a building is, you know, it spans decades, you know, if not more, you know, if you, if you designed it right. So, it then became a challenge of you know trying to help align those two timeframes and and trying to shift the mindset of looking at uh, decisions based purely on on a you know cost and profit uh, over to more of a decision where you look at value and like talking about holistic value where some of the external you know the externalities of uh, better social value environmental value for for the users and tenants you know become embedded in in the decisions yeah i understand and maybe give us a you know because you mentioned there are a couple of different aspects the 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 emissions the the value for the the people using the building the you know you still have that have that consideration around return on investment but have to take a different time span beyond just that standalone so what what are some of the aspects that you use to help kind of that conversation, to help that decision-making process? So the framework itself, it covers, um, it tries to link and, you know, link in a, again, in a holistic way, you know, I think it's really challenging uh, to, to really make a, a quantitative correlation of, you know, if you put X investment into your building to, you know, if you, let's just uh, use uh, solar panels as an example. If you put, X amount in solar panels, you know, you'll get Y re- return on investment. Um, you know, I think you'll get some in terms of, you know, operational OPEX reductions from energy savings. But, you know, I think looking at, at things in a, in a even more broader kind of perspective can kind of reveal certain values that, uh, you know, weren't necessarily apparent before. So I think going back into the, the framework, you know, we, we look at things from asset outcomes, uh, linking it to kind of more system-based outcomes. But uh, we were covering five categories, you know, at looking at emissions reductions, including embodied carbon, operational carbon, uh, looking at environmental improvements, whether that's through water usage, minimizing waste, enhancing biodiversity. Let's see, the third element would be looking at user satisfaction. You know, that's really the the human uh, element of, um, you know, how is it, how does your investment in these solutions helping to improve the health, well-being, and productivity of your occupants, uh, of your clients and tenants? And then, you know, I think look, uh, kind of trending more into the system outcomes at a city or district level, you have your systemic efficiencies, where some of the digital tools uh, can help to unlock, you know, further uh, flexibility and interconnectivity of your systems. And then finally, there's the the socioeconomic uh, standpoint of it, where making these kind of improvements can help create uh, jobs and it can help lower energy costs for the consumers. 
me understand. Like that's a huge amount of scope, and and most of the the topics that you mentioned there really do go beyond that simple return on investment conversation. It goes beyond, especially you know you you, met, you mentioned one there, the systemic uh, value efficiency, going beyond that individual standalone asset and starting to talk at a community level, starting to talk at a city level, and really understanding the interactions and the additional values or the 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 draw or, or the reduction of value depending on how that building or that asset starts to operate within its broader scope. Um, uh, you know, such an interesting conversation when you start to go to that level. I can imagine that there's a lot of a lot of uh, of really good in depth but challenging conversations that go through through uh, you know when you walk through this uh, this framework with different uh, cities, communities, uh, companies. Let's link a little bit back to that digitalization topic because across several of those different aspects that you just mentioned, the, the scope of the framework that you've built, digitalization and different technologies are core enablers there. So how, you know, pick, maybe you could pick for us a couple, one or two examples within that framework, specific topics where where the technology really, and, and maybe the technology today really enables us to take action, which we couldn't take in the past. Hmm. Um, it's a tough one, know, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a complex question. So let me let me take a moment to uh, kind of reflect on that. Um, you know, it brings to mind a couple of the case studies that we performed. Um, you know, through through uh, developing the framework, and uh, you know, one of them was a case uh, municipality in Italy, northern Italy, uh, called San Mauro Torinese. Hope I'm pronouncing that uh, uh, right, but you know it was a project that was led by one of uh, our partners, uh, NLX. They're a smart energy service provider based in Italy with with global operations. But um, you know they helped the the government in a public private pr- uh, partnership uh, to to decarbonize their their buildings and retrofit and digitalize that their building portfolio. I think it was about 30, 30 or thirty two buildings uh, overall. You know, I, th- I think that what we started to talk about earlier on where, you know, any any individual building can can implement something like, you know, they can put their solar panels on the roof, they can change LED lighting, switch their, um, their heating systems to a more efficient um, system. But I think that the, the interconnectivity of, of it really relies on those digital tools, uh, you know, to, to en- enable that IoT system and platform for, for things to run more effectively and more, run more efficiently. And, um, you know, I, I think you could probably talk more detail about it than I could. But, you know, I think from, from that particular case study, you know, they set up a, a lot of monitoring devices uh, and sensors to, to help connect those uh, different systems. And the, the main objectives were to help reduce the city's operating expenses and increase energy efficiency. But, you know, I think that um, it, after they implemented all of these tools, it, it enabled the, the city's uh, building managers to to really work a lot more effectively, and you know, it, it improved uh, service levels uh, for for the the public, um, you know, the, us- the users, customers of, of these uh, government offices, um, and it freed up the the asset management uh, agencies to be able to de- devote more resources on on priority maintenance uh, rather than kind of manually having to. Um, 
to oversee the operation of, of every single uh, system separately. Yeah, I understand. And I think it's a great example because exactly what you described, I think, is is core to to the conversation about what, what can we achieve when we start to look beyond an individual building, an individual asset, or even an individual discipline within a, a building. If you want to realize those benefits, like you just described, better service for the people using the buildings, a clearer idea of what's happening where, you know, finding efficiencies in some of the traditional service activities that can then be redeployed to deliver even better savings, better service, or or even be used to help deploy additional technologies. It's that combination, it's the perspective, but also the planning and, and the understanding of all the key stakeholders across that group and the collaboration which enables that. And and your example is the perfect one because it talks a little bit, it, you know, there, there's a lot of sensors, there's a lot of transparency and data that you need to collect, but then it's that understanding and the implementation across the different stakeholders, understanding what we do with it, how, which is essential to this. And without that, uh, you know, we've got a cloud full of stuff, but uh, but no real benefits to show from it. Right, right. And I think that, you know, one of the keys is figuring out what what to do with that data. You know, the data is only, only as good as, um, you know, the people working with it, the systems that you use, uh, you know, to, to base your decisions on it. So, um, you know, I think going beyond digital tools, I think um, the infrastructure sector in general just... Um, you know, would benefit from from having a more. I think you know, as you said, it was it's rapidly improving. Uh, we're, we're we're catching up, but there's still a lot of work to do to to be able to figure out you know how data can help unlock the full potential of of this kind of systems management. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the perfect segue that brings us back to and we we promised we'd talk about it at the start, and then we talk about speed. You know, we talk about this race. Uh, and we talk about, you know, you mentioned before, uh, you know, if, if we look at the industry today, 1.5% of buildings are green buildings in the US, less than 1% globally. Uh, we know that we have to have significant, you know, si- significant progress here in this space if we want to realise the goals that we have to realise. You know, we don't have an option here. It's very clear, I think, that, that that's, you know, to reach our sustainability goals is not really a, an optional thing. It's something that we need to do as a society if we want to continue to to enjoy uh, you know the, the life that uh, that many of us take for granted. And and I'd like to then ask you a little bit about speed because you mentioned there that the different stakeholders, the understanding of what to do with the data, the digitalization is the core enabler. Well, you know, what are the next steps? And and here, you know, I'm interested just in your initial impression. Like, what what are some of the things we can do? And what are some of the enablers or the, the the different mindsets that we need to to adapt to uh, as an industry, as a society, to start to really get that speed benefit and start to speed up? Hmm. Um, you know, this is uh, it feels like this is a, a perennial issue, right? You know, we've, uh, <laughs> as an industry, we're always um, trying to think about how we can catch up, uh, you know, to the digital age. And it's, it's been a challenge, I think, uh, broadly for infrastructure. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons for it, like the, the long kind of uh, lifespan of, of the infrastructure asset. You know, what, what our decisions do uh, now are going to influence, uh, you know, it's going to stick around and influence generations to come. So, um, you know, I think at least with um, kind of, heavy public infrastructure 
uh, with governments, you know, as the main client, that that is, uh, you know, has its own set of challenges, you know, in terms of aligning um, aligning incentives along the uh, life cycle, along the value chain, so that uh, you know the the people building it are going to have the incentive to embed the tools that are going to make it easier for the people operating it. You know, so so that's that's one of the the conversations that um, you know we've had in a, a running series at the forum. I'd like to also kind of make a callback to uh, an earlier forum uh, initiative where you know we had published a white paper uh, last summer on uh, called uh, Infrastructure 4.0, and in it, you know, we had made it, it was you know, broadly looking at the. Uh, infrastructure sector and, and precisely trying to answer, you know, how can we speed this up and how can we, you know, accelerate the adoption of, of these types of tools? Um, you know, and in it, we made some recommendations for public sector, private sector, civil society around different kind of uh, bucket categories, uh, you know, to, to create the new ecosystems that will enable, um, you know, this kind of forward thinking throughout the value chain. It's not enough for for one person in a company or a, a team in a company, but you know, it's really got to permeate through the culture of all the stakeholders involved, you know, and creating new business models to to be able to enable those types of exchanges of both data, information, and you know, um, uh, just the the honestly the financial transactions that are needed needed to to kind of enable this, um, you know, through uh, the delivery of a project. And I think the last thing is really, you know, it's keep, kept coming up recently um, is, is having the skills and the educated workforce in order to deliver this. You know, I think that in a lot of parts of the world, there's, there's been a drain, I think, of, of um, technical experts that, that um, you know, and, and we really need to build up that um, not just in the students that are coming up, but really changing the mindset of people who are already in decision-making positions, you know, in their respective organizations. So, um, you know, there, there's a big piece of that kind of skills building and, and kind of uh, upskilling for the digital age that needs to happen. Yeah, a, a really great summary. And, and I know it was a difficult question. I think you did exceptionally well there because you hit on some really core topics. You mentioned right there that that, that mindset, that innovation uh, mindset, the understanding of the, the challenges of, of, let's say, the melding of the skills from a more traditional uh, domain expertise to also understand the technology uh, and, and finding that middle group. We can't have everyone that just understands the technology but have lost the domain skill and vice versa. Uh, you also talked about, um, about that, let's call it the ecosystem, the, the, the conversation across all of the different stakeholders, et cetera, that collaboration and uh, that, that, that forward thinking model. And I think at the start, you mentioned incentives in here. I guess this also links back to regulation and, and government driven in, incentive schemes, investment schemes to help, let's say, make that, that conversation or that calculation around return on investment and all the rest of it a little bit easier for for those corporations that are, are doing that sum in the back of their mind. So a, a great approach. and and. You know, we're, we're close to the end, but before we get there, thanks so much, Oliver. It's a, it's a really great conversation. It was really much appreciated. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks so much, John. It's been it's been a real pleasure to, to be here chatting with you. It's very interesting stuff, you know, and I think it sets up the conversation for, for other topics, you know, that, that we can definitely explore together. 
Absolutely. And hey, I want to set up the conversation with my last question because you, know, you mentioned a couple of different things. We talked about uh, the the um, you know the framework that you and your your organisation work on this net zero carbon cities building value framework. Uh, you also mentioned your infrastructure 4.0 white paper. Uh, I'm interested. You know what's next? What's next for the forum? What's next for you and the team that are working on this topic? And what what's coming around the corner around this space? Well, you know, I, I think that um, that there's a lot of interesting stuff coming up, and the uh, work that we did on the building value that was as part of a um, you know, a sector-specific deep dive, looking at built environment. Uh, but you know, as I mentioned at the uh, intro, the Net Zero Carbon Cities program. It's really the the objective is to look at that intersection uh, between the all the major systems. You know, mobility, built environment, energy, and you know, we're continuing our work to try to localize Net Zero to try to bring those solutions to the cities that are uh, you know actually implementing these. So, you know, we've uh, developed uh, in the past year a digital toolbox of solutions, and that's an online platform that is, uh, contains over 200 examples of practical solutions, case studies, and best practices on um, electrification, efficiency, and smart infrastructure and uh, curated from around the world. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a living Toolbox. It's a living database. So, you know, we invite Siemens. We invite, uh, you know, others to help contribute to this. Um, you know, we're we're constantly looking out for you know other practices that can be adapted and scaled. Uh, you know, that are ready to go that others can can put to work. You know, in their cities. Uh, so that's something to uh, to keep an eye on. And um, there's a website that uh, audience can check out. It's www nzcc toolbox one word dot org perfect hey excited for that and and it's those kinds of toolboxes i think are important because you know as you as we've discussed throughout this is such a complex problem there are so many moving parts so many different systems so many different disciplines and industries that all have to get involved so the more we can learn from each other and also see what's successful in different places and leverage that the more and more important uh, Oliver, thanks again. Much appreciated. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it's not the last. I get the feeling we've got plenty more to chat about. If we had the opportunity, we could sit back and, and keep going. But um, but uh, for just today, thanks so much and, and uh, your expertise and time. Much appreciated. It's a pleasure chatting with you, John. Hope to do it again sometime. Absolutely. And hey, for everyone out there listening, thank you also for joining us. Uh, check out the World Economic Forum. Uh, you can look for the white paper that Oliver mentioned, uh, Infrastructure 4.0. You can, I'm sure, also find some information around the Net Zero Carbon Cities Building Value Framework. And I'm going to really test my 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 uh, memory here, but the NZCC dots. I'll, I'll let you do this one. The, hit us with yep. that uh, URL again. You got it. You got it. It's the nzcctoolbox.org. Perfect. So check that out as well. And also take the opportunity I mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, uh, but there is a, a paper, a, a report uh, delivered from Siemens called the New Space Race. So if you Google Siemens, a new space race, it's also worth checking out to see some of the trends and, and let's call it the opportunities that we see within the, the built environment space, the infrastructure space. Uh, driven around adaptability, driven around expectations and requirements for users of, of built environments and, and the expectations and the challenges we have coming up for all of us moving forward. But until then, please uh, look out for those new episodes, like, share, comment, subscribe, 
uh, and uh, always look out for our new episodes as they come every other week or sometimes even more regularly depending on how many exciting conversations we're lucky enough to have but until the next time uh, we look forward for these future conversations oliver we look forward to catching up with you again at some point in time Uh, but until then we'll see you very soon